Our opening scripture is 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So I believe this scripture shows three seasons of life. I believe when we're teenagers, it's the lust of the flesh. Gimme, 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 gimme. I want, I want, I want what I want, and I want it now. Then you get married, and then you battle the lust of the eyes. You start looking at things that don't belong to you. And then you get old and God's delivered you from all kinds of things. And you think, you know what? I've come such a long way. I'm such a good Christian. That's the pride of life. So we dealt with the pride of life last week. Today we're going to deal with these first two, okay? Uh, this sermon series is brought to you by the letter what? P. Somebody said L. P. It was pass the test, purpose of trials, permission granted, principalities and powers, and today in part five, we're going to talk about this, purity. Purity. If um, pride was the first um, satanic attack up in heaven to be thrown down to, to hell, then this area today is the first satanic attack with mankind, and I'll show you that in a little bit. Um, so purity. Satan wants to take young people into bondage at an early age. He wants them to get an addiction. He wants them to look at the wrong things and develop this lust inside of their heart to where it affects every area of their future. Uh, Satan wants you, you know, in the 70s and 80s, it was where your father would leave playboys sitting around somewhere. Today is the push of a button. The push of a button and demonic activity can come into your life. And Satan never shows you the future. He never shows you the divorce. He never shows you the lust that builds up in your heart. You think when you get married, that takes care of it. That doesn't take care of it. Only God can take care of it. He doesn't show you that you lose your creativity because you're thinking about things you shouldn't think about. He does not show you the, um, the battle that you have in the future. He doesn't show you how you subconsciously begin to compare your spouse to images you've seen on the computer. He doesn't show you the, the, the long run, 20, 30 years later, when you've lost your business because you've done something foolish, all because something that started when you were a teenager. This is already a very sobering introduction, isn't it? Oh, Jesus, help me. Let me just go home now. So I have three points here today, as usual, to help you in this area. Number one is this. For your notes, don't look. Don't look. It all starts with the eyes. Psalms 101.3 says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Matthew 6.23, the eyes are the windows to the soul. We've been talking about how Satan is looking for an open window. He's looking for any open window to get into the, the house of your heart. The number one open window for young people and for men, even Christians, is when they look at the wrong things. And Satan says, here's a window. I can get to your soul through your eyes. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I think, I want, I feel. He can affect what you think about. He can affect your desires. And he can affect how you're feeling simply by putting the wrong thing before your eyes. Um, I don't think any of you, uh, if you were leaving your house this morning to come to church, and all of a sudden out in front of your house you see these three guys, and they're wearing ski masks, and one's got a, a hammer, one has a gun, and one has a crowbar, none of you would go back inside of your house and just crack your window. And think, oh, I see these guys out here. I'm going to crack my window in case they want to come. None of you do that. In fact, you would make sure everything's locked. You'd probably call the police. Okay, anyone with a cell phone that does not have unrestricted access, it's like opening up a window. <laughs> uh, anybody that's got Playboys hidden in their house, it's an open window. Uh, and I know it's just the push of a button, just the push of a button nowadays, and everything can change in our life. David was very clear after he fell, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Um, Genesis 3.1 starts this transaction, and you'll see what happened the way Satan came into their life. It says the serpent was the craftiest beast of the field. Now listen real close, it's not talking about animals. 
Uh, the, the beast of the field is a Bible word for demons. You see it all through the Bible. I've shown you that before. Beast of the field refers to demons. It doesn't say the snake was craftier than the bear. That's not what it says. It says Satan was more crafty than any of the other demons. And he said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of the tree? The woman said, no, 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 no. We can eat of every tree except for the tree in the middle or we will. What's that word? Die. Now remember that for the end of the sermon. Remember that for the very end of the sermon. In verse 4, the snake replied, what God said is not true. Satan always casts doubt on the word of God. Always. He manipulates it. He twists it. It's where we get the word wicked from. Wicked furniture is twisted. He twists God's word. Um, Satan said, did God say you can't have sex with anybody? No, no, no. God didn't say that. God said as long as we're married. Did God say you can't look at anyone naked? No, no. God said if it's my spouse, it's okay. And Satan comes in and says, no, no, that's not what God said. God said, as long as you're going to get married, it's okay. God said, as long as you just look at it for 15 seconds and then that TV show changes scenes, it's okay. Satan said, as long as you don't act on it, it's okay to look. He always twists the word of God to manipulate your life. In verse 6, when Eve saw, it starts with the eyes. When she saw the tree was good, pleasant. That word pleasant means um. Uh, it means, it's a, it's a, in the original Hebrew, it means to desire, desirable, desirable. It was a, it's a good word. It's a neutral word. It can be good or bad. It's actually the word lust, but we think of lust as being negative. Lust can be positive or negative. That's, it, the, the, the tree was good. It was, it was something she wanted, delightful to look at. She ate it. She looked, she lusted, and she lived it out. You might use the word lunge. She looked, she looked, it always starts with the eye. Now, a lot of people think that this particular tree looked better than the other trees. You know, we always think the grass is greener on the other side, but Genesis 2, 9 says this, the Lord God made every tree desirable. Every tree was pleasant to the sight. Satan manipulated her in saying this, what God provided isn't good enough. Um, um, Satan said, uh, God's holding out on you. <laughs> God's holding out. If God really loved you, if he really wanted you to enjoy your life, if he really cared about your destiny, he'd let you sleep with anybody. If God really had a good plan for you, he'd let you look at anything you want to look at if it makes you happy. And, 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 and he, he deceived them to thinking what they had been given what God had provided for them to look at, what God had provided them for them to have, wasn't good enough. Y'all can say amen every now and then if you want to. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I came to this church today. Judges 14.1, watch this, Samson. He had supernatural strength. It was prophesied over him when he was in his mother's womb that he would be used to deliver God's people from the hand of the Philistines. God had a destiny for Samson. Listen, every young person in here, God has a great plan for your life, but it's not going to happen automatically. You can be prophesied over, and we have a great prophet that comes to this church and prophesies good things, but those good things won't happen unless you follow the words of the one that gave him the prophecy. You know, if God's, if God's the one giving him the prophecy to give to you, you've got to follow what that, what that mouth up there in heaven is saying to get to that thing in life. And Samson had a great word of God, a great prophetic word over his life. But it says in uh, Judges 14.1, he went to Timnah. Go back, Judges 14.1. Timnah is, a, is another word for Myrtle Beach or the Boulevard, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> where a woman caught his eye. The first four words ever recorded out of Samson's mouth, the strongest man in history, was I saw a woman. And that was his downfall. His parents actually literally warned him. They pretty much said this, Samson, she's not a Christian. 
She doesn't care about your destiny. She doesn't want you to do what God wants you to do. And Samson says, but I like the way she looks. His parents said, no, 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 listen, you don't understand, Samson. You serve God. God has a plan for your life. This woman, she's lusting after you. She doesn't love you. She's lusting after you. She doesn't want you to fulfill your destiny. She wants you for herself. Samson said, I don't care. So he went to marry her, and she cheated on him on his wedding day with his best man. Read in the Bible. That, you think that these soap operas you watch, they got it all from the Bible. <laughs> Judges 16.1, Samson went to Gaza and saw a loose woman and went to her. When Samson was supposed to be delivering God's people from the hand of the Philistines, he became easy prey for the enemy. He became easy prey for the enemy simply because he looked at the wrong thing. Simply because he hung out with the wrong person. He literally just hung out with the wrong person and it destroyed him. His enemies captured him in, second, in Judges 16.21 and it says this, The first thing they did was they gouged out his eyes. And here's what I think is the most interesting scripture on Samson ever. The first thing the enemy did was gouge out his eyes, thinking they were, they were causing him trouble. They, they thought, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna abuse him. We're going to hurt him. He's our slave. So they gouge out his eyes. And listen, the very next scripture says, the hair on his head grew back one more time. His anointing came back immediately when he could no longer look at the wrong thing. Do you realize that some of y'all have an anointing on your life? To bring healing to people, to write books, such creativity that God's put inside of every person here, especially you young people. Y'all are the next generation. The next generation. We're building this family life center for the next generation. It's not for Bob and for John. It's not, it's not for our elders. It's for the next generation. No offense. But I mean, this is what listen, we're looking to the future. And what I'm telling you today is to save your future. The second he could not look. The anointing came back in his life. Do you realize if you and I'm going to show you some precautions you can take in a little bit. But if you can no longer if, if you can just, can just get around the right people in life, your anointing can come back to you. You have no idea how far you can go. Point number two is this. Don't lust. Number one, don't look. If you don't look, you won't lust. It says in Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman in lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the Pharisees. And a lot of men or fathers who, who, who were raising children in the 60s and 70s and the Pharisees in the Bible, they had this ideology that as long as you don't transgress, you're okay. You can look, but don't touch. You can look, but don't act on it. As long as you don't trespass, as long as you don't go past this particular physical line, it's okay. And Jesus came along and said, y'all are out of your mind. My God is a God of hearts. Your action, your heart is all the same thing. If it's in your heart, it's in your life. That's how God judges you. So Jesus comes along because they were saying, no, no, as long as you don't transgress, as long as you don't step over the line. Well, Jesus came along and taught them two words for sin. And it's all through the Bible, iniquity and transgression. Iniquity means this. It's an inward motivation. Transgression is the outward movement. You're going to need to know this for the end of the sermon. Um, iniquity, um, iniquity is the motive. Iniquity is what's on the inside that nobody sees but, but God. Transgression is what you do with it. Let me say like this. If, um, if, 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 ra if, if racism is the iniquity, then speaking or screaming racial slurs is the transgression. If, um, if, if greed is the iniquity, then taking the tithe that belongs to God and spending it somewhere else that's the transgression, stealing. 
If hatred is the iniquity, murder is the transgression. You see what I'm doing inside, outside. If, if lust is the iniquity, immorality is the transgression. Okay. Jesus comes along and says they're both sin. They're both sin. In fact, I'm sure you know the phrase, what one generation does in private, the next generation does in public. What one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. What one generation does behind the scenes, another one does where everyone can see. What one generation says, I don't know if that's okay or not, the other generation says it's totally okay. Now the Bible does not say the transgressions of the father affect the children. Watch this, Deuteronomy 5, 9. The iniquity of the father can visit the children to the third and the fourth generation. If it's in the heart of one generation, it'll be in the life of the next generation. Parents, listen real close. If you won't do what I'm saying to do today for yourself, do it for your children. If you won't, if you won't do it for your marriage, if you won't do it for your own future, do it for the people that are coming after you. Um, David, King David fell in this area in 2 Samuel 11. His son fell in the same area, Absalom, 2 Samuel 13. His next son fell in the same area, Solomon in 1 Kings 11. Um, you, you might not have had a parent that cared enough. You, you might not, you love your parents, you respect them, you obey them. You might have had a father that thought it was okay to look. You might have had a father that had magazines hidden under the bathroom sink, whatever it was. Listen real close. If your parents do not care enough to help protect your future by protecting the device that they've given you, let one of us do it. We will pay for whatever it takes. There's something called covenant eyes you can put on your phone or your laptop or your computer. Uh, my personal device, I, my friend has a, a passcode on there that I don't know. I can't look up. I even tried looking up a scripture that had to do with today's sermon on my phone and the scripture wouldn't come up. That's how protected my device is. So I encourage you, go to one of the youth leaders. Ask them, and, and have an accountability. I felt I've fallen in this area. I, I, I want to change. I don't want to live this way. Help me. Here's my device. Do whatever it takes. It's worth it. It's worth it for the sake of your future. 2 Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery, their appetite for sin. Listen real close. Once Satan develops his appetite in you, only God can heal it. Do not think that um, if you get married, it'll fix it. And if you try really, really, really hard, you know, it'll fix it. No, no, no. Once the appetite's on the inside, you're constantly wanting to go after it. Their sin's never satisfied. Their hearts have been trained by demons. The demons have trained you. They've trained you at an early age in lust. They are children of a curse. They're children of parents that did not want to go the extra mile to protect their child. I encourage you, if you're a parent here today and, you have, and you've given your children a device, do whatever it possibly takes. Demons are the click of a button away. You want demons? Boop, there you go, right there. Click of a button. It's amazing. It's amazing how people don't even now. I know there's a lot of older ladies in here who think, John Paul, that you're, you're way out there. Like you are crazy. So I want you to maybe understand what I'm talking about today in, in battling with lust. So I have a pornographic picture to show you on the screen for all you ladies. Here it is right here. Now, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this by audio, if you're listening to the CD, this is my lust right here. I have this on speed dial. It's a Krispy Kreme hot sign, just so make sure it says. In the last Friday of the month, they sell chocolate glazed Krispy. I know. And if you put it in the microwave for three extra seconds, you can drink it through a straw, which is really good. But anyway, so this is what I'm talking about. Okay. I know where some of y'all are going. Time church is over. You're not going to the boulevard. You're going somewhere else. 
Okay, so Joseph was a slave for Potiphar. And in Genesis 39, 6, it said this. Joseph was an attractive and handsome man. Watch out for attractive and handsome people. It says Potiphar's wife cast longing eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. So, so, so it, you look, you lust, and you live it out. In verse 9, Joseph said this. Now, if you ever want, to, if you ever want your daughter, if, if you're a young lady and you want to find a godly man, let me tell you a way where you can determine if it's a godly man or not, a man of God or not. A man of God describes any type of sexual immorality is what Joseph said. He was a great man of God. A man of God does not describe it as in, well, we love each other. So, you know, a man of God does not describe it in, we're going to get married anyway. A man of God does not describe it in, what's the use of having a piece of paper with a marriage license? No, the man of God will say this. Um, how can I do this great wickedness against God? Uh, she asked Joseph to lie with her day after day, but he refused to go near her. And it's really important you understand this. He did not refuse to go near her because she was ugly. He did not refuse to go near her because he didn't like her. You say, well, he was a great man of God. That's exactly why he refused to go near her. Because he liked the way she looked. And he knew no matter how spiritually mature I am, no matter how smart I am, this is an area that I'm tempted in because I'm a man. So I can't go near this temptation because I am not strong enough to say no to it. In verse 12, it says, One day Joseph went in the house to do all his work and he was all alone. Sometimes it's better to be all alone at prom than go with the wrong person. Sometimes it's better to be all alone at home watching TV by yourself than be out having fun with the wrong person. Because the wrong person, and a lot of the older people in here can say amen because they failed in this area. And so they can tell the young people, listen to what that pastor's saying. I'm not lying. It caught, if I heard this sermon when I was a teenager, you know, it, caught, it saved me a lot of money. It saved me a lot of heartache. Amen. It's better to be alone than be with the wrong person. She grabbed him by his coat. Now listen real close. She shocked him. Now I'm going to say something that I know some of you are going to get mad about. But listen, if you are not shocked when a naked person comes on the screen of your TV, something's wrong. If you've lost the shock factor. If you think, oh, it's just a TV show, this scene will end in a few seconds. If you're not shocked by it, you've gone a long way out in the wrong path. And I want to encourage you to come back to that path, come back to the right way today. She shot him, grabbed him by his coat, said, lie with me. But Joseph ran out of the house and he fled, leaving his coat behind. This goes along with the, the New Testament, which says flee from sexual. It never says when you're tempted sexually, just stand and pray. It never says that. This is the one area in the whole Bible that it says, run. <laughs> run like you're being chased by the popo. Run. <laughs> and I know what that's like. Run. <laughs> One time I got chased by a cup. Well, anyway, okay. And I was running. I ran into a barbed wire fence. Can you believe that? Your sin will find you out. But anyway, and so, okay, so she, he left his coat behind. Listen, this is what this passage is saying. Sometimes you have to be inconvenienced in order to have victory in your life. Sometimes you have to lose something in order to win something. Sometimes you have to give something up like a novel or a friend that you've had a long time or you have to give up a television show. Or you have to give up your unrestricted access to the internet. You have to give up something if you want to gain God's favor. Amen. You have to give some things up. And in this case, Joseph was willing to leave his coat behind. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee from youthful lusts. Be faithful, loving, easy to get along with. And here's the people you should fellowship with, okay? 
Christians who want to live pure. Christians who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. And listen, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We've all failed. All of us. We've all failed. I'm not preaching a sermon saying don't fail. I'm not preaching a sermon saying you're doing bad if you fail. I've never said that. I'm saying this. If you don't make some changes today, it'll destroy your future. That's all I'm saying. Find people who say, listen, I'm, we've messed up, and but, but I want to do right. I, don't, I want options to make this not happen again. I want to live pure. Those are the people you find. Not people who haven't made mistakes, but people who have a desire to live pure. Love gives and lust takes. Um, understand if someone loves you, they want you to fulfill your God-given destiny. You say, but it saves us money to live together, or it's closer to my work, or, or I don't care if it's a million dollars. Whatever excuse you have to disobey God, you're saying, God, I love this thing more than you, and then you ignorantly think this, but I still want you to bless us. If someone loves you, they want to, and listen, let me say about a marriage, husbands and wives, listen, uh, ladies, your husband, um, if you don't, if you're not a big giver in that marriage, and I mean you give, and both y'all, both y'all need to romance each other during the day. You need to give affirmation during the day so that, that, that when you're in the bed that night, you have a good time and you have fun. But listen with us. If you don't give in your marriage, the enemy will just like that send whoever or whatever he can. And I would hate to think that your husband's getting his needs met by a computer screen rather than his wife. And if your husband fails in this area, it's not your fault, but you can help him overcome in this area. And if your husband comes to you and says, listen, I battle this. He's not battling love. He's battling lust. Don't take it personally. He's coming to you for help and transparency and honesty. So maybe you'll be a better giver in the bedroom or maybe you'll maybe y'all can work together and you can have the passcode on this. Whatever the case is, love gives. Lust is all about me. Lust is here's what I want. I want it now. That's lust. Love is I want to do what's best for you. Man, this is a tough sermon. I don't want to preach this stuff. God, give me a good, happy sermon next week. Number three is this. Don't live in sin. Look, lust, and don't live in sin. So Romans 8, 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll actually die. Adam and Eve, God said, you, you, you take this thing that doesn't belong to you, you'll die. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. I, don't, I would rather die physically than die spiritually. When you die spiritually, you, you lose your passion for Jesus. When you die spiritually, you, you lose your purpose. Like Samson, you miss out on your purpose. When you die spiritually, um, you miss out on, on what could be an amazing marriage. When you die spiritually, you lose creativity because your mind's consumed with these images and these wrong things. Um, I want to show you a passage in the Bible. And, and we, we, you know, we're, this series, we're talking about the demonic right now. And this is one of the funniest passages in the entire Bible, theologically speaking. I think Jesus wanted to laugh out loud. I, I really, with all my heart, I think he wanted to laugh out loud. Okay, watch this. John 8, 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. In other words, these were believers. Everybody say believers. believers. These were not atheists. These were not just the regular Jews. These were Jews who believed Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples. And the truth is in my word. The truth is in this word. And once you hear the truth, you can be set free simply by the truth. The truth is so powerful. Once you get on the inside, it'll literally set you free from bondage. The truth will set you free. When you find out the truth about what's going on in your marriage or the truth about like, and I don't mean bad things. I mean, the truth of how you can change. I mean, the truth of, man, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been selfish in this area or the truth on um, if I could just do this, this, if I could get my phone protected, it would set the truth sets us free. And here's how they answered him. We're Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage 
to anyone. That is the funniest scripture in the entire Bible. We've, we come from Abraham and we've never, ever been in bondage to anyone. Okay, listen real close. Has anyone here ever read the Old Testament? Ever. I mean, ever, any chapter in the entire Old Testament. Abraham's descendants have been in bondage to everyone. Everyone. They were in bondage to the Syrophoenicians, the Grecians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. They even made a movie out of it and got Charlton Heston to play the lead role. When they said this phrase, we're not in bondage, they were in bondage to the Romans. When they said this. Why is this funny? Because there's Christians that hear what I'm saying today and they think it's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad. I'm not in bondage. I can quit anytime I want to. It's only once a week. It's no big deal. We're not in bondage. And Jesus, here's how Jesus responded. When they think we're not in bondage, here's how he responded in verse 34. Jesus said this, most assuredly. Now that word commits means um, a plan. It means you're formulating. It means there's a continuation of it. It means that you've set, you made a commitment to this sin. Or you made a commitment to this person to live in sin. You made a commitment to this device that you're not going to make the change. You made a commitment to sin. Jesus says whoever commits and practices sin, they're a slave. And a slave does not get the same rewards that a son or a daughter gets. Listen, if you're a daughter of the king, why would you date a peasant in the first place? I don't understand. If my daughter ever tries dating a peasant, I'm going to beat that peasant to death. <laughs> She's a daughter of royalty. She doesn't deserve that. That's not who I'm going to raise her to be. If you, you don't mind, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Um, the reason that my device is protected, the reason I don't meet with women without Trisha or Micah there, the reason that I, I do, we, our, our elders, we always do group text if it's someone of the opposite sex. The reason we do that is because this next scripture, Proverbs 7.25, don't let the wrong woman win your heart. She's caused the death of too many. Her house is the way to hell. Here's the big word. For she has slain many strong men. Listen, I, I, I opened up this sermon kind of making you think that it was for young people. Okay, listen. If you're a strong man, this is for you. If you're wealthy, if you're popular, if you're handsome, if you're successful, if you have great influence, if people at your work think you're great, in any of these areas I mentioned, you're a strong man. And that is who the enemy comes after in this area. Because you're strong, that's why you flee. Because you're strong, that's why you make sure your marriage is protected. Because you're strong. Now a lot of you think, well, John Paul, I'm just hanging out with this person to try to get them saved. First Corinthians 15.33, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. The reason a lot of you good Christians, I'm going to talk to old people now, the reason y'all miss church on Sunday morning when you have a friend come and stay with you from out of town, you might have good character, but guess what? They just pulled you down. Anyone that can influence you, and you don't even realize they're influencing you, anyone that can influence you out of the best path of, of, that Jesus has for your life, listen real close, they're pulling you down. Don't ever think, well, because I'm a Christian, I'm strong, I can pull them up. You can't pull anybody up. Only Jesus can. But you know what? There's more of a chance by this scripture they'll pull you down than you pull them up. There's much more of a chance. Bad company always corrupts. We say, Tom Paul, they're baby Christians. They already know Jesus. 
So, you know, okay, Matthew 18, 6, if anybody causes a baby Christian to stumble, it'd be better that you throw yourself into a sea with a millstone around your neck. I got you. Listen, whatever you come to me with, I got a scripture for you. I know what the Bible says. So listen, if you really care about that person, if you're going to get married, get married today. Get married today. You can have a big ceremony later on, but get married today. And if you're not going to marry them, why are you dating them? If you know they're Mr. Wrong or Miss Wrong, why dating them? Why not get protection on your phone? I'm, I'm not in now. Y'all are ready to leave. Y'all are so ready to leave, I can feel it. Okay, okay, no more sex stuff. Let me end with this, okay? Okay, so we talked about pride last Sunday. And we opened up the scripture with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Pride is when anyone, let me tell you the height of all pride. I mean the height of pride. Like, you need to get slapped if you have this kind of pride, okay? If you're a Christian, and anywhere in your mind you think, I can disobey God, but he will still bless that relationship. Like, um, we can live together and not be married, and God will still bless us because we, we come to church or whatever. Or if there's any, any area of your life where you think, I can do what God says not to do, and still expect his blessing. That's the height of all pride. I mean the height of pride, okay? First Peter 5, 5 says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble is not people that don't fail. Humble is people that fail a lot, but they always get back up and say, God, I don't want to be this way. I need you to help me change. That's humble. Pride is, I don't need to change. There's nothing wrong. That's pride, okay? When you're walking in purity in your relationships, God... Now, I, I'm not a sports guy, you know, but I know enough about football. I know there's a guy called the quarterback. And he throws the ball. And then there's another guy that runs and catches the ball. And they try to score a point. While they're doing this, there's these big, strong men that are knocking out the players out of the way the whole time, right? They're defending. When you're walking in purity, I want you to picture God defending you from every demon. Knocking this out of the way. You're trying to bring strife and knocking that out of the way. No, just just defend. You just gain in yardage and yardage. When you're living impure and you're living in sin, living in sin, you would think that I would say, um, you know what God does? God gets out of the way. He says, okay, you want to try to gain some yardage without me defending you? Go ahead and try. And then you kind of picture yourself battling demons. You take three steps forward and two steps back. That's not what happens. No, 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 no. When you actually think you can do the wrong thing and expect God to bless no matter what excuse you have, God doesn't get out of your way. God gets on the other side and opposes you. It's okay, you think you think that I'm gonna bless the way you're living? <laughs> Let's see you try to gain even one inch with me opposing you every step of the way. If you want a blessed relationship, there's things you can do. There's things you can do. Um, there's a story of the Titanic. It's a true story. If you haven't seen the movie, the ship sinks in the end. And, um, and poor Leonardo DiCaprio and stupid Rose throws the thing overboard. They should have thrown her overboard. She could have done a lot of great things with that. But anyway... They thought they were unsinkable. Huge, powerful, nothing can touch them. The largest vessel in the world, filled with who's who of that day. Man, the pride was high. The warnings came in. There's an iceberg ahead. 
Change your course. No, no, we don't need to. We're unsinkable. Nothing can touch us. They hit the iceberg. Over a thousand lost their life and died. But it all could have been avoided if they just heeded the warnings that came in. It's okay being strong and powerful and thinking you're okay. But once the warning comes in, if you don't alter your course, it could destroy your life. So I'm encouraging everybody to think, hear the warnings coming in. Alter your course. Now, earlier I told you the transgression and the, so I want to leave you with hope. Here's your hope for today. If you'll repent today, and if you'll make the necessary precautions, so you, you try your best not let it happen again. It says in Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Do you know that a wound is when you bleed on the outside? And a bruise is when you bleed on the inside. And Jesus said, I bled on the outside for every transgression you would do on the outside. But here's the cool part. I also bled on the inside for every wrong motive, wrong thought, everything you would do wrong on the inside. The punishment that we should be getting for what we're doing was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Not we're going to be, we are. So make the necessary steps you need to take. Flee from sexual morality. Ask forgiveness. Go forward. And if you're married today, be the biggest giver in your marriage you possibly can. Because the enemy will throw whoever or whatever he can in front of your spouse's eyes. Amen?